Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. You know, many times when somebody gets a diagnosis for something affecting their mental situation, a lot of times it can be a, a big negative. And you can wallow in that. You can find ways to come to terms with something, you know, a certain type of diagnosis, or you can look at it as an opportunity to help yourself and others. And that's what this gentleman has done. He was diagnosed to be bipolar many years ago and now has a phenomenal book out talking about that and spreading awareness about it. And uh, we're going to hear a story and it's an amazing story. Stephen Wilson joins us on the program. Stephen, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you, Steve? I am well. Steves are good people, aren't they? Damn straight. <laughs> At least we think so. Uh, your book, share the title with us, please. Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. And this journey, and we're going to get to the book in just a moment, but I'd love to start with the journey. This journey began years ago when you were in your 20s, right? It began well before that. It began when I was nine years old. Um, I was a normal kid at that time, enjoying life, everything going well. Family was well off, no problem. On Saturday, I went to the local movie theater to watch a double feature of Westerns. And when the first movie was over, I went up to the concession stand to get popcorn for 15 cents and a Coke for a dime, a little bit cheaper back then. And when I went up to the Coke machine to put in my dime, this man put a dime in for me to buy my Coke. I'd never seen him before, but he said hello and wondered if I could come help him someplace in the theater where he was having a problem. And being a naive kid, I said, sure. And we walked down the hallway, and then he took me into what I saw was a restroom. He grabbed me, sexually assaulted me, um, threw me up against the wall when I tried to resist and choked me. And after that, I'm not sure what happened. Because I saw another person in the room, and I assume somebody came in and stopped him. He'd already done the damage, so that was that. But uh, that was the end of the assault. And I just went back to my seat where my buddy was sitting, and I couldn't figure out what had just happened. I never, never knew anything like that took place. Now, remember, this is 1958. So things were a lot different back then. Um, so I blamed it on myself for some reason, not knowing why, and didn't want anybody to know. So I didn't tell anybody what happened for 30 years. Wow. And then when you told somebody, was that through therapy or what was that situation there? Well, you got you to gotta realize what, what mental health issues were like then. They were oh. to totally taboo. Uh, and I, that was that was part of what I really wanted to talk about as well, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, where if you said those two words, mental health, even 20 years ago, it was almost like, whoa, okay, somebody has a problem. Uh, uh, yeah. even, even, even 20 years ago, to say that, yeah, I'm going to therapy, you still had that 
somebody put a label on you where nowadays it's it's a badge of courage say yeah I'm, i hey can't talk with you now going to talk to my therapist but yeah well you've just made the biggest mistake i think you can make when it comes to mental illness and how people uh look at it please tell we are better now as a country and as a world in talking a little bit about mental illnesses but the stigma is almost as bad now as it was 20 years ago uh, let, let me just let me just position this that it's better now i didn't say it's good now i said it's better <laughs> oh okay. this is it's people are more freer to talk about it when somebody says and I, you know, I hear from friends all the time. Yeah, I'm talking to my therapist later, so I'm, I'm not going to be right. They wouldn't even be saying that 20 years ago. So at least That's right. we're getting better. But I didn't say we're in a good situation. Just to say those two words, bipolar, or maybe it's one word, my bad. Um, that conjures up, even today, a certain stigmatism, for sure. It conjures up a person who is different than everybody else. It conjures up a thought of a guy who can't control his own mind, who yeah. might go into at any minute, who might hurt somebody who deserved to be locked away or put in a mental institution. Yeah. Um, I will also, since we're on this topic, go a little further with it. Uh, I run two mental health support groups here in the Phoenix area. And what I have found is now, now most of the people who come to my support groups come because they're having a hell of a time getting therapy or the therapy is not working. The medication is not working. All of these things. Yep. But the big problem is not that. The big problem is that the insurance companies have put such restrictions on how much they pay to the providers that the providers can't make enough money. So they have to quit it, taking insurance or raise their fees. And the people I'm talking about who get screwed up on this are those of us who only make average salary, a little bit below. They may be on disability, whatever. And uh, the insurance companies don't care. They want to save their money. I'm right there with you. I can't even tell you how much I'm with you on this. And <laughs> you're going to see veins starting popping out of my head. I'm going to get, it just <laughs> drives me crazy the way insurance is now. And in the situation you're describing, people that do take insurance, some of them work through a clinic, maybe they're independent. They are so overworked that and this is not for all of them, but I'm going to say the quality of the care isn't what it should be, and that's not a reflection on them. Individually, it's the system because they have to schedule more patients. You don't get the, they don't listen like they, they should. And I experienced this with, with loved ones just two days ago to the point, you got me started. <laughs> to the Good, point, I'm glad to hear it. To the point it is, where- it is. I'm paying out of pocket now, as of yesterday. For, Who's paying out of pocket? I am, for a family member. 
yeah. uh, because yeah, I had I to. Well, I just went to a, a therapist yesterday uh, that I paid out of pocket, and it was $200 now. The, in, the intake, by the way, is usually three fifty. But keep going. <laughs> okay. You know, one one guy in California is charging fifteen hundred dollars for a session. So anyway, uh, two hundred dollars was affordable to me. But none of my people, and I've seen well over a thousand over the years, can afford that. Yeah. Uh, and then insurance doesn't cover anything, so they they get on disability smi do you know what that is i, I know I don't, i'm not sure what it stands for Fairly mentally ill and it opens up a government uh, uh help with mental health issues it opens up with trying to find them housing and things like that yeah you go to these clinics clinics are so overwhelmed yep that they can't keep up with anybody if you're in distress and you go and you get an appointment you walk into your appointment uh, and then it's over and then they go, well, I can see in a month. Well, what the hell does a guy do who's in distress over the next month? Then he comes back and his doctor has been replaced by somebody else. <laughs> so he's got to start the process over again. I had this uh, challenge with, uh, with my daughter and found one doctor was, yeah, it was okay. You know, the communication was kind of hard cause you got to go through, you know, the system get established intake all of this good going and then he says yeah you're gonna have another doctor next month i'm like what he goes yeah we're we're only on board for and you know good doctors qualified we're only on board for a year and then we rotate out and unfortunately sir you got me at the end of my tenure here so now you gotta start all over again so, so i i think we're, we're done complaining but i we've illustrated we have a problem here. Well, let's move on to the next problem with it because we've hit the insurance. Now it's government outlook because no, we all know how screwed up the healthcare system is. It's bad enough, but it's gotten better. Hmm. In mental health, you can't see how people are suffering. If you look at me and talk to me, because I'm pretty good these days, you'd have no clue that I had a terrible life dealing with bipolar you can't see it so maybe it's not there so it is absolutely no priority to get funding for mental health issues in the government so that doesn't help i'm sure they got a few bucks laying around they could throw our way but there's no incentive to do it so mm. we're better but better compared to what and i'll also tell you this the podcast i've been doing i've done several that are outside the u.s they all have the same problem in their countries really yes because i always look at uh places like canada where it's government provided things like seems like the insurance system is okay over there not so much well i'll tell you i just talked to about two weeks ago i did a podcast with a young lady from canada she said oh yes we've got government insurance it's great for normal physical conditions, not mental, and not if you have a serious condition, you have to get in line and wait maybe six months to get seen. Now, if you're going to die, they'll, they'll get you right away. But that part of it and the mental health is as bad or worse than ours. Horrible. And I talked to 
somebody in Jamaica, they said the same thing, and somebody in England. So we all think that government insurance is the way to go. Well, if we do go government insurance, which I'm not against, it's got to be different. Yeah, especially on the mental health side. Yes, definitely. Wow. So you being diagnosed, it was in your 20s, if I do the math right. Am I, is that about right? Yes, it was in 1978. But it was, what happened was, uh, I started having terrible depressive episodes a couple months after I was assaulted. And they went all through my high school and college. But most people don't realize that bipolar and depression come in waves. So you'll be down and out really bad. I can't describe that to anybody. They won't understand how bad it is. And then maybe a month or two later, you'll come out of it and you'll be feeling pretty good. So it's not a day in, day out thing. So you can have some good times. Um, But I was at my worst in... 1970 and 71, I got in a fight with my dad and I ended up in a mental institution for three weeks. When I came out of that mental institution, uh, they diagnosed me as clinically depressed. And back then, there were only a handful of pills you could take. And I tried them all and they none of them worked. They made me terribly sick or just whatever their effect was it wasn't good. So for the next six or seven years, I was pretty damn bad at least half the time. Suicidal ideations, all that stuff. Uh, Then one day my psychiatrist came in in 1978. He said, "Uh, Steve, I think I made a mistake on your diagnosis. You're bipolar. What the hell's bipolar? I never heard of that. Can't Google it. (laughs) (laughs) What it was was manic depression, they called it back then. But they just started changing the name of it. And he put me on lithium back then, which was the gold standard. And it really helped. Mm. After that, I was able to continue my life, have a lot of good times, a lot of bad times still. But I was able to function. Uh, Bipolar is not just one bipolar, one kind of bipolar. It's really three. Bipolar one is the depression you get out of the depression and you go into an all all out assault mania. You'll buy cars, you'll spend all your money, you'll ruin relationships, you're totally out of control. You think that you're in control, you can't sleep, you can't eat. All you want to do is save the world. When you wake up from that, you've ruined your life. The second type of bipolar is bipolar two, which I am, and it's characterized by the deep, deep depression. Horrible. Again, as I say, I can't explain it to you. You have no no idea what I mean. The third type is hypomania, which you go into depression. You come out of that depression. Like I said, it goes in waves. And you might go into what's called hypomania is somewhere between normal for a regular, whatever normal is person and mania. You'll do stupid things, but you won't be out of control. To give you an example, I went into hypomania one time and I was buying my wife a car and we were at the dealership and we'd already bought her car. And I looked over and I saw another car sitting there and I went to the guy and said, I'll take one of those too. So 
it clouds your mind, but you're not out of control. So that's the best way I can describe bipolar. To better understand, let's let's look at bipolar two. Deep depression yes. can come just because of depression. I'm not minimizing anything here. Yeah. Uh, how is that different when it's somebody who is bipolar? Well, the two are depression and bipolar are definitely linked. Very, very similar. The big difference I found is I felt no different when they told me I was clinically depressed than I did when I was bipolar. The difference opened up for me was the medication. The medication was different and the medication worked or helped me. And I got a hundred percent. No, no, that's not fair. 80% better by, by the year 2000. that's 42 years uh, when I, they finalized my cocktail. Now, that means that it's a group of medications that work specifically for me. Uh, most everybody with depression and uh, bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, whatever, is on a cocktail. Yeah. And all work together. And everybody's different. I know, I know people closely connected to them that can't take antidepressants. They take mood stabilizers. Antidepressants just send them into a deeper depression. Absolutely. Now, getting on to what is the fault of the patient? The help is there, and I'll explain in a minute, alternative helps to uh, medication. But with the medication, so many people are reluctant to take medication. Somewhere in their lives, somebody told them that medication is bad for you. So they refuse to take it. So they, if if it would be prone to help them, they never try it. The second group is the group that says, okay, I need help. I'll try the medication. When the medication, now, when you go in to get any kind of medication, the psychiatrist always says it will take Two to four months for this to work. Well, these people who are in the category of skepticism take it for about two or three weeks. It doesn't work, so they quit taking it. And I'm, I've I've never heard two to four months. I've heard minimum, minimum a month, minimum. But it can take me, you know, maybe two months. The four, I guess everybody's different. And I do want to say, Steve, we're going to run out of time, and now yeah, we have about five minutes or so. Um, what do you, and I want to talk about your book before we get to their question. What do you say to people when they say, oh yeah, bipolar, bi means two, split personality. That's always associated. What do you say to that? All I can do is say that, isn't it? It's polar that you're talking about being one on the bottom, one on the top and has nothing to do with split personality. So it's the extreme from this to this. Yeah. And sometimes the extreme can be from this to buying expensive things and just uh, acting, you know, maybe irrationally, if you want to call it that. And um, wow. Uh, In your book, first of all, the title, I think I have a vision for why you chose that title, but explain. Well, if you if you look at the book title or the book cover, there's a guy on a tightrope. And the reason I picked that is because Bipolar and depression and schizophrenia are like being trying to walk on a a tightrope 
you start to go down and you go to the other side, you can't get your footing. And I base it all on balance. We're all looking for a balance of good times and bad times. So that's where the title came from. Mm. I, 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 you might know this song, but I think in music, a lot of times, Leon Russell, Tightrope, do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it's really about a relationship, but it's, it's, it's this where, you know, one part of the lyrics is one side's ice and one side's fire. It's, you know, you're, you're, it's a delicate balance as you try to navigate through life in this situation in the song, which came out in 1972. I have random facts. Um, <laughs> it's about, it's about navigating a relationship with this book. What do you want people coming away thinking after reading it? Well, I'll tell you, I never wrote it to make any money. Being an author doesn't make you get rich. Most of them really don't do it. Don't do much. The reason for writing the book was I went about four years ago to a trauma therapist because I was having real trouble getting over a couple things, traumas, that had hit me in the past that the medication didn't help me with. So I go to this trauma therapist here in Scottsdale, and she started me out by going through my entire life with my first memory when I was a young kid, and then taking me all the way through my life up till three or four years ago. And it really worked. What I came out with from that was... She said, you know, you ought to write a book about this because there's so much crap in there Mm -hmm. that people ought to know what you really go through. So I had been a sports writer and a a sports information director at Ohio Wesleyan University way back in the early 70s, even when I was bad. And so I had a little knowledge of how to write. Mm -hmm. So I did write it. But my main purpose Writing it came after six years of doing the uh, the group therapy hmm. because I, re- I really realized that people don't understand that it's a long-term fight when you've got mental illness, but that you can have a decent life. You can be prosperous. Uh, you can have a family. But you've got to really keep working at it. You can't miss your medication if it's working. And if you can't get medication that works, there are other modems that you can use. And you just got to keep going. As you can see, 1958 to 2000 is 42 years. Now, I hate to break anybody's heart, but there's no cure for bipolar. There's no cure for clinical depression. So you've just got to keep fighting. Keep fighting. <laughs> it's you have to find within to move yes. forward. Do you find I I don't want to run out of time, but I got questions for you. And they'll probably yell at us, but whatever. Um, how do you find the strength within to keep moving forward? Do you do you find the positive in life? Do you practice gratitude? What what does it for you? Well, let's start off with what can happen that's really bad. Uh, you can try to fight it with drugs and booze and 
all those other negative and, things. And, and totally. let's rule those out. Let's say just doing the, the right thing without trying other substances and other things to try and, uh, you know, cloud things, uh, you know, put you in another state. Certainly there's a place for things like CBD and things like that. But um, Well, what I did was focused on my family life. I had a terrible history in the business world, uh, working with trying to keep a job. I couldn't function. I would quit jobs. I'd be fired and all those things. My business career was, and when I did end up in business with my father, something I never wanted to do, I was able to make a living and go on from there. But for me, my family life was a thing that saved me. I've been married 51 years. I have three daughters and two granddaughters, and we are really close. So that's what kept me going. Wow. God bless you. <laughs> you know, Thank you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's even to hear somebody married 50 years. I'm like, you know, that's, you know, I, I was in a uh, restaurant uh, and I'm divorced. I was in a restaurant last year and I see a couple in that. And you could tell that they were together for a long time. I just paid their bill. <laughs> I didn't even say, don't tell them who paid it. I just look at them. I'm like, God bless you. Keep going. And I, and they even had leftovers. I saw them gathering up. Good for them. Um, where do we find your book? I know you have a website, correct? Yes. It's author Steve W. Wilson at gmail.com. That's your email address website, though. I thought I That's saw one. Website. In fact, it's you said, g- said gmail.com. It's not gmail, it's dot com. Dot com. Okay, just checking. Um, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It is coming out at the end of this month as an audio book. I was going to suggest that. It's an ebook and it's a paperback. It is only 120 pages long. So it only takes two or three hours to read it. It's a very good read. It chronologicalizes my entire life. Nothing is left out. And I think anybody who's involved in any way in mental illness and many other people will get a lot out of this book because most people don't understand how bad it can be and how it can really screw up your life, period. And as we try to say to those in our lives that, uh, I know you're going through a tough time. You don't know. You know, you can say, I I understand it's tough, but you don't really understand. Uh, So I salute you. I applaud you for writing that book and for your transparency and honesty about your journey um, with the goal of helping not only yourself, but helping others. Um, And fantastic on that uh, trauma therapist uh, for being the, you know, a key point in some of the healing, uh, even hypnotherapy. I've done that. You know, I don't, I, I don't have, you know, depression and things like that, but we all got something <laughs> and most of it. And most of it goes back to our childhood. Uh, and, and hypnotherapy was great. Well, about, I can't put a percentage on it, but a high percentage of the people in my groups were uh, sexually abused as a child, physically abused or emotionally abused and that carries on for the rest of their lives sure you can't imagine how parents siblings who beat these kids up bullies can ruin somebody's life it happens in different degrees i believe to 
most of us. Yeah. Uh, I was bullied. When I had hypnotherapy uh, last year, year and a half ago, I said right away, take me back to my childhood, please. I already knew, you know, we're going to connect there. And my parents got divorced when I was young. So that, you know, they, there's a, it leaves a mark on you along the way. Stephen, thank you so much for being here, sharing your story, writing the book. Uh, it's, it's a story that needs to be told and needs to be listened to. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, we've got some people to listen to that and uh, so we can help others. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Be well, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else: childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.